it can't grow and become smarter. And if it can't, there's going to be a shift of who controls the stuff. The Western, we are fascinated by this idea of, of privacy. And every regulation, by the way, that's being created in, in, in London, in, in, in US, in Paris, has to do with this notion of protecting privacy through AI. Where the real problem is, we have to figure out a way and get out of this mindset that my data is my data, so I'm going to control it and not help. This is, we can cure major diseases with this thing. We could cure, we could do big things. And if we don't do it, somebody else will do it. Hello guys and welcome back to the Thinker Nick podcast. Today I'm joined with a guest from the United States. His name is Sid Mohasabib and is known as the entrepreneur philosopher. He believes in our individual ability to shape our destiny and regardless of our origins reveal and constantly enrich our authentic self to evolve always and not leave change to chance. Sid is the best-selling author, You Are Not Them, The Authentic Entrepreneur's Way and the Caterpillar's Edge evolve, evolve again and thrive in business. A university professor, a TED speaker, an advisor to Fortune 500 leaders, an innovation thought leader who has built multiple companies and invested in many more. He is a frequent contributor of Forbes, Time, Newsweek, USA Today, Independent, Foreign Policy, Globe, London School of Economics, and Harvard Business Review. Wow. <laughs> Sid, how are you doing? I am excellent. And you? I am fantastic. Thank you very Wonderful. much. Happy Just to be with you. Yes, me too. So that is a pretty impressive bio, Sid. Why are you not? Yeah, I joke around. I say <laughs> when I started, I was six foot two, <laughs> but life has pounded me down. So I'm uh, not a shorter guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, why are you known as the entrepreneur philosopher? Where did that come from? Why? Uh, because I have a lot of philosophies about entrepreneurship, I guess. Okay. No, because uh, because I work with you know I was I'm I'm an angel investor. I I, I ran a, a angel investment uh, entity, actually the largest in in US, and uh, I believe that a lot of the uh, success uh, comes from uh, the mindset. And, and how every entrepreneur can build their own entrepreneurship philosophy. Uh, like the second book that you're seeing actually behind me, You Are Not Them, is focused on building that, uh, that philosophy. Um, you know, I believe that we're not all alike. That is a fact. You, you know, you're not Elon Musk. I'm not, uh, you know, Bill Gates or, uh, or Jeff Bezos. Uh, and uh, but we are all have our own genius, and if we tap into our authentic way of doing things, um, we have uh, a way to be an entrepreneur. Now, an entrepreneur, I define it in a different way than most people do, because the word itself has been kind of changed over the years. An entrepreneur means someone, uh, and this is, goes back to the 1700s. The first definition is someone who has something could be uh, an idea, it could be a, a product, who exchanges that with something of higher value, knowing that there is risk. So I'll give you an example. If you go, if you're a student and you go to, uh, to, uh, to college, you spend all your time, you don't sleep at nights, many nights, uh, you, or you, know, you take a loan of a few hundred thousand dollars or your parents uh, cough up the money or somehow you pay for it, you've made an investment in you in order to have a better life. But it's, there's no guarantee. So there's a risk. So in that context, with the definition of entrepreneur, every student is an entrepreneur. Uh, but we exchange different things, and that's our choice. That is, maybe uh, we take uh, uh, an Elon Musk who wants to... Uh, 
uh, you know, get a few more billions or a hundred billions and, and go to the moon and conquer the universe. Uh, we have, uh, that's his choice. That's his entrepreneurship exchange. Uh, we may have a mother Teresa, uh, who puts what she has, her efforts, her capabilities, uh, to attack, uh, hunger and poverty in the world. And that is her exchange. So we have to choose our exchange and it is that exchange, but we're all able and capable to be an entrepreneur. Okay. I'm pretty <laughs> fascinated by your book over there. You are not them. For our readership, could you just sort of touch on, you know, take us through the book briefly, just sort of what, what's it about and, and maybe why people should look into maybe buying sure. the book? So, so, so you are not them. The, the, the essence of it is uh, in the title of the book. You're not them. Um, and uh, the subtitle says The Authentic Entrepreneur's Way. So authenticity is, 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 is at core of, of success. Uh, the book is a little bit of poetry, if you would, and business mixed up. So it was uh, a bestseller on Amazon uh, on both philosophy and business. So that should tell you something about mm, awesome. the nature of it. So it's a very different, and it's not a how-to book. Okay. Uh, we have enough how-tos out there that says do A, do B, do C, but life it's not like the furniture store Ikea where you buy something and then it says attach A to B, B to C, and boom, voila, you have a bookshelf. Life and entrepreneurship doesn't work like that. We are different. We come from different backgrounds, different ages. We have different capabilities, different family structures, different uh, friends, different employees, different bosses, different everything. Mm -hmm. um, so... Uh, Life and entrepreneurship for every individual is very different. Now, there are certain things that obviously are mechanical. You know, how does an accounting work? How does marketing work? How does this work? Those are mechanical things that obviously applies across the board. But that's not, if you know accounting, that doesn't make you a successful entrepreneur and a business person. You know, if, if you know, uh, you've read books on management, that doesn't make you a manager. Mm -hmm. uh, so the key is that the book is not a how-to. Uh, it uh, has three or four key pillars that begins with, and that is one uh, is that uh, you have to be a pilot. Uh, a pilot navigates a risk. Every pilot takes a risk every time that they sit, you know, that they, they sit in the cabin. But if you are a commercial pilot, it's very defined. You do A, you do B, you do C, you do D. Check mark this, check, 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 check. Mm -hmm. And then they say, okay, risk has been minimized. But there is still risk. Uh, you could be a, a, a weekend pilot. And those are guys who I call have a hobby of a business. Uh, you know, it's interesting. It's minimized. The risk is minimized. But you still go through the check, check, check. But then you could be a fighter pilot. Okay. A fighter pilot has more challenges. The same risks apply. But it's got to go into battlefield. It could run out of uh, run out of fuel, which means run out of money. Mm -hmm. It has uh, the enemy attacking it, which is competitive. Yeah. So it's got a different dynamics to it. So uh, what they do is not they don't manage change, they don't manage risk, they don't avoid risk, they navigate through it. Okay, and that's the mindset. Mm -hmm. Uh, the second thing is uh, be an ocean. What that means is if you take the characteristics of an ocean, an ocean is a provider. All the species that live within an ocean somehow are, are provided. It is a connector. Uh, it connects the different pieces together. Um, it, is, uh, it also creates energy in the waves. So... I, I, I use the analogy of the waves of a business, the day-to-day -day thing. It's like the regular waves of an ocean. Mm -hmm. But then you have tsunamis. Okay. Okay. And, and those are different. Those are when, uh, you know, you come up with some sort of an uh, iPhone moment. They're, they're changing the universe and so forth. So there's different kind of waves 
or you have tropical waves, which is somewhere in between that you change the business, but it's not so drastic that it could it could be realistic. But you have to be creating that energy like an ocean. An ocean is calm, cool, collected, but it could be destructive. I see. An entrepreneur needs to be able to take both scales. Yeah. It's not one or the other. So I call that being an ocean. Uh, so you have to be, you have to feed the ecosystem, provide for others. You would never know when wins by himself or herself. And it's that ecosystem building. The next is being a dancer. Okay. You know, a dancer knows the timing of every movement, every movement. They, they listen to the music and the music in this case is the market. It's the world we live in. It's the, it's the voice of the customer. It's what happens outside of us. So, you know, people say pivot, meaning change, you know, pivoting from one business to another business and so forth. Uh, and I don't agree with that. I think it's a dance and you're a dancer. And if you're listening to the music, your timing is right. People like Bill Gross and from Idea Lab and others say the most critical thing that, that makes a business win is timing. So you have to know where to do something and where not to do something. And good dancers can be choreographed. And at the same time, they can, they can um, uh, improvise. Uh, meaning that sometimes life is choreographed and you follow the certain routines and it would produce certain things, but sometimes it's not. Um, lastly, it's, uh, it's, it's being authentic. Uh, and that means that you have to have the courage to uh, to admit you're wrong, the courage to push through the pain, and all sorts of stuff that uh, that, that impacts you. So you have to have three-way trust. That is, people say you have to trust your employees and the people you work with. Hey, they first have to trust you, and before you can trust you, you have to trust them. So if you know, you have to trust them, and you have to trust yourself. So it's a three-way trust. So it's. All of that collection of stuff that uh, uh, that deals with it, and then towards the end of the book, I focus on mindfulness and actuating mindfulness. You know, people confuse that with, "Hey, I'm mindful if I go into a, a some sort of a uh, you know trans and alpha state and think about great things and yoga." That's that's great, but unless what you do produces some result, it's not mindfulness. Mindfulness has to be actuated. It has to produce something. Um, I also talk about things like uh, uh, learning the art of being nervous. Okay. You're nervous when you're doing something new. That means mm -hmm. you're pushing your envelope. And that's a good thing. If you're not nervous, you're not pushing yourself. You're not getting to the edge of what you know or what you can do. And that's different from fear, which is a whole different ballgame in terms of learning and experience. Okay. So that's kind of the different areas of the book. And I use a lot of analogies and a lot of examples yeah. and a lot of poetry and a lot of, and a lot of quotes, uh, uh, and, uh, uh, and all of that. That's, that's what it is. I, I, I love those analogies that you use very, very, uh, simple and easy to understand for, someone like myself who's just started their entrepreneurial journey and you know can really relate to it so the fighter pilot one was definitely a bit of, a bit of a shock to the system with regards to having things thrown at you and then having to you know bounce off and, and deal with them as they come through um i love the analogy of the ocean because in in every business right you find a problem and you solve a problem and in order to do that you have to provide you have to be the ocean um, with the dancer, this is one that's very interesting and I believe re requires a lot of strategic thinking because when you said the word pivot, um, this has happened a few times in the last eight months where we've actually got to a point where we have had to, I guess, pivot in a sense because you've got to constantly innovate and adapt to the environment. Authenticity, I think... Uh, with authenticity, I think the number one characteristic or, or character trait of an entrepreneur needs to be integrity to always do the right thing. And like you said, be your authentic self. Um, that's just my point of view on that. Um, and then mindfulness, how important do you think that is 
when running a business? Uh, see, the thing is that the, the thing Nick, is that you have to, it's a collection of things. It's a painting that you're creating. So uh, one analogy that I use in the book is that you are the art and you are the artist. You're both. You are the sculptor and the sculpture. You are constantly sculpting yourself into your next best version. It's never done. What that means is a lot of those changes begins within. Uh, a lot of times entrepreneurship is mistaken by bullheadedness or, or just simply bullshitting. <laughs> you know, just if somebody has the ga- gift of gab, they say, oh, he's a good entrepreneur. No, yeah, he's yeah. just a bullshitter. Or somebody, <laughs> oh, he's a risk taker. No, risk takers are in Las Vegas. That's entrepreneurs don't take risks they navigate risks they are they calculate what is better than the other they work with probabilities they understand that the world is uncertain so mindfulness helps us not get to things in in segments so let me explain myself uh, life and entrepreneurship is not sequential that is you're not doing this and then boom you realize oh this doesn't work and then you pivot and then you do this and boom, it doesn't work. Did it pivot? I see, from day yeah. one, you listen to the music. You're making minute changes. Your change is every day. It's, it doesn't happen. So some people say, oh, I have this plan and it's got to work this way. I have probably for a period of my, my life, I, I, I looked at maybe 2,500 business plans a year. That's a lot. Yeah. To this day, after 20 some odd years, 30 some odd years of experience, I have not seen one of them work the exact same way when they started. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. Uh, the key is, are you able to evolve every day a little bit? Because if you wait until you have to pivot, you then have made a lot of investments of time and effort and money and, 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 uh, all of that because you didn't see the signals as you were going through. So uh, that's what I mean by being mindful. You have to be mindful of every activity, every action, every reaction, every market, every people, you have your employees. Of You have to be mindful of your partners. You have to be mindful of your customers. You have to be mindful of your investors. Be looking for every signal that's giving you a little bit of a uh, piece of, uh, you know, piece of information. Now I'm working on a new thing, which might be interesting to some of your audience, which is this idea that the current business model is based on effects and not causes. So we say, we want to generate revenue. We want to, the business is about making money. An effect is because you take an action. An action is because you made a decision. A decision was, is made because you consider an exchange of something for another. That's why you make a decision. You think doing A is better than doing B. So as opposed to looking at the effect, if we look at the cause, we'll have a different way of running a business. We look at the cause. If the cause is right, the effect will continue. Here's one simple example. You don't sell, people buy. You don't have the option. You think you have a sales force, but unless they make a decision, the decision at the end is theirs. Unless they make a decision to buy, there is no revenue. There is no profit. You, as an entrepreneur, are in control of the exchange of value that you give to the customers. You figure out the exchange, and they figure out the decision. If your exchange is right, they'll buy. Not because you have a great sales force, not because you have the gift of gap, because they decide to buy. The same thing with employees. Employees, you don't hire employees. They choose to work with you. They choose to work with you. And they choose how much of their intelligence, capability, and effort, and time, and mental capability, and capacity they will invest with you. You would offer them something. Here's some money. Here's some options. Here's an opportunity. Here's a career. They, they make that decision based on what they desire, not what you mm-hmm. give them. 
So investors is the same, and even the society and partners are the same. So if we change the way we look from looking at the effect into looking at the cause, then we have this interesting thing. We have an organization with five pillars, the customers, employees, investors, society, and partners. These five pillars, they all have different exchange requirements, different things that they want. The role of a leader, an entrepreneur, is to orchestrate, synchronize, and harmonize these five pillars in Texan. And if he does that, the money will come. Okay. <clears throat> Isn't that very similar to know your customer? Know so your customer ignores the... It, it thinks that if you just know your customer, but you don't harmonize the rest, it doesn't work. It does not work. It's the whole thing. It's not just, hey, if I know my customer, then I've got it. First of all, your customer is always changing. Mm -hmm. Your customer is not the same guy that you talked to 17 years ago with a, your customer. Today is Nick. Uh, in, in, in a few years, it's somebody else. In a few years, it's somebody else. Uh, and Nick is even changing. Uh, he now uses chat GPT or something else. He's married, he's divorced, he has a kid, he doesn't have a kid. He moved to uh, Vietnam, Australia, or London. He is not the same person. Yeah. So this is a dynamic thing that's constantly changing. Right? And if I know my customer, but I don't know my investors, guess what? I've got a problem. If I mm -hmm. don't know my employees, I've got a problem. There is yep. a give and take. And this give and take is not just between two parties. It's not just between customer and the company. It's between all these pieces. I can know my customer and my, my customer may need this product for a dollar. And I say, oh, if I give it to him for 50 cents, wouldn't be happy. Of course he would be happy. But then am I paying my employees the right thing? Am I giving them the right thing? Am I taking care of my partners? Or am I somehow screwing them out of a buck or not giving them a Am I giving my investor the right thing? Let's take the opposite. I cannot pay my employees because I want to give more money to my investor. Now, the investor could be you. That doesn't mean a third party. But these have to be operating in harmony. And that's not, you know, that's, you know people say, oh, it's about the customer. Uh, you know, it's not about the profit. Now there's this whole movement about conscious uh, you know, entrepreneurs that you have to care about the environment. Yes, the environment is part of the deal. If you don't do that, society wouldn't accept it and you have a problem. You have to harmonize that as well. Okay. Interesting. Have you, do you know of the sunk fact, uh, the sunk cost fallacy? Yes. So just backtracking a little bit towards pivoting where you said, uh, if you, if you continue, continue, continue with business and don't evolve every day, and then decide to pivot, um, you can find yourself, you know, in a lot of trouble down the line. So the reason why I bring that up is because the sunk cost fallacy for those who don't know is basically no knowing when to pull the plug, basically when you've invested so much into something and then you need to actually make the decision to step away before you lose any more, basically, or invest any more of your time into that. So how, I don't know if, I don't know how to yes, phrase this question. Yes, you evolve in waves. Yeah. That is, it's not an episodic, this ends and this begins. You always have a wave of strategies, a wave of strategies, like the waves in, in the ocean. One doesn't just come up. It comes up slowly as the other one is going down, right? So as you see new products, new markets, new opportunities, you begin to experiment with these waves. And as you experiment, then you see results, then you double down. And as you're doubling down, it's going to get to a point, and you're observing when it's getting to the point. The minute it begins to get to the point, then that's the point and say, okay, maybe this is time to uh, okay. start letting it go. So see. if you're measuring things, if you're looking at things, this is, goes to the mindfulness again. If you are aware... <laughs> then you can make decisions. If you're unaware, then you see this block, this wall that you hit. Quick one. As you know, the Thinking podcast is slowly growing. We've recently just hit 10,000 audio listeners and we're coming to that on video as well. 
I just want to do send a message to say a sincere thanks to our dedicated audience and to all of you who have listened to the podcast. Could I ask a quick favor? Could you just please hit that subscribe button as it helps to promote this podcast, which means that it'll only get better, the production value will get better, and we can get better guests on the show, which means we can deliver more value to you guys. Thank you. Back to the episode. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Nice short brief answer there to answer that question. <laughs> so I just want to sort of uh, change direction to sort of young money and old money and how entrepreneurship has changed in the last, I don't know, 40 years. If I look at the social media, the social media age and how many young people or young entrepreneurs are extremely wealthy, like I'm talking in the millions of dollars. Whereas if we looked back 40, 50 years ago, um, before this whole, you know, technology boom, it was traditional businesses and you would find millionaires and even billionaires would only get that wealthy in their 60s, 70s, 80s, whatever it is, like a Warren Buffett, for example. But then uh, my, my question is basically, you look at Warren Buffett and then you look at your Mark Zuckerbergs, and I'm talking even younger now with YouTube and, and all of these platforms that are coming out. How and why do you think it has changed so much? And how do you think it's going to look in the future? Well, that's a good question. So first thing, entrepreneurship hasn't changed. Uh, it's still you're exchanging something for other something better. So uh, Zuckerberg may have seen, uh, by the way, Zuckerberg and, and Warren Buffett, that the, the two that you, you mentioned are two different mm -hmm. animals, meaning yeah. They operate in a different mode. You know, uh, he, one is a fund manager who has somebody else execute, and Zuckerberg is one who rolls up his sleeves and executes. Those are mm -hmm. two, you know, uh, Buffett is playing with the numbers and the markets and all that. Yes, he acquires companies and so forth, but that was later on. He bets on somebody else like Zuckerberg to execute. So they're yeah. two different animals. But still, they, they have... Uh, you know, they have a similar thing that they, they exchange what they have uh, for something better. Now, one big difference is the expansion of the market. In the past, uh, it was very, it, it was narrow. You, you know, you, you, you open up an office and, okay, as far as you could go, let's go back 100 years. As far as you could tell was, you know, maybe 20 blocks from where you lived or 50 blocks or 100 blocks. It was just not feasible. <clears throat> now you could put something on the internet and you could tell it in you know africa or or, or uh, uh, vietnam and you could be sitting in russia or uh, or kansas city uh so the reach is different so the size of the audience has increased the second is we have entered a different uh, type of an era, which is in the past, we may have had an advertising agency of some sort, and some of those made a lot of money. And we had two, three, five TVs that would do that. Now, you have these platforms that are everywhere. And somebody says, hey, I am a, a you know influencer and gets there and makes uh, $100,000 know, a month because they do some dance and, you know, behind them, there's a bottle of Coca-Cola or, a, <laughs> or a, you know, uh, exactly. some sort of a Louis Vuitton bag or, or, or whatever, right? Now, they are making money because of the audience that they have and the media that they have been able to reach. Do I think that that's a long-term uh, trend? Well, the media has changed, and you have now all of these type of different resources that are available. You know, we, we, you know, we have... Hulu and Netflix and whatever that's uh, adding to these and every day one is popping up. So part of the reason is the reach that people have. The fundamentals are the same. You have this uh, craziness about, for example, cryptocurrency. Mm. Now, I get blamed for this. I've said, hey, this is a stupid thing. It's like, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, there is no, it, this is not an asset. This is gambling. This is not entrepreneurship. This is gambling. Now, you you may want to do it, but you could do the same thing with derivatives on you know stock market or options. It's it's similar to playing a, a gambling game. Uh, uh, those people who have made a lot of money, uh, some has uh, kind of 
banked on a frenzy on on some wave and they write you know they they they, they wrote the wave and good for them uh, a lot of these new money though is uh, is is not necessarily sustainable if that makes sense mm. uh, that is you have to have a culture of money and a culture is built over time that is Somebody who has never had any money and all of a sudden become, comes to money begins to uh, act erratically, not because they're a bad person. And I'm not talking about everybody. A good portion of the people, they they spend and they do things that are not necessarily, and they think what happened when they did once. That, you know, I see a lot of entrepreneurs, they had a one-hit wonder, they made a lot of money, and then they go and they think that they can duplicate no, it was about timing. It wasn't them that, you know, they, they didn't really ride the wave. They don't have the scars on their back and so forth. No, some do. Uh, some evolve, like, uh, you know, look at Zuckerberg. You know, you, you mentioned him. Look what he did recently. You know, he was losing a lot of money. He faced it and says, hey, we got to do something. And uh, jumped, in the, you know, jumped in the game and, and changed the game. Uh, mm-hmm. In terms of uh, you know the efficiency and layoffs and whatever, and and he says, hey, it's okay to copy. That was a page out of Bill Gates' book that that says, hey, I don't know if recently you saw that they released this thread. The thread, yeah, to and compete with Twitter. It's a copy of Twitter. Well, they changed Twitter. People wanted that. They yeah. changed it. They said, okay, people watched it. <laughs> I'm giving them exactly yeah. what they wanted. You want to give them something else? Good luck to you. Yeah. Now people that. are saying, "Oh, this is a this is a this is an older Twitter." Yes, it is, but that's what people want. They don't want the new model that Musk says, oh, "You charge here and I do this." They don't want that. They want that. Okay. So that's innovation. Now a lot of things, innovations that we're talking about. I mean, when we're talking about Apple, for example, people say, "Oh, he's a very innovative." Yes, he is innovative, but he copied mm-hmm. the. Uh, the original uh, iPhone thing, not the iPhone, the one that, that had the music on it. iPod. Um, iPod. Well, iPod. iPod. Was yeah. a copy of what we, what, what we call the... Uh, Walkman. Uh, a, a, walk, a Walkman. Yeah. Yeah? yeah. It was exactly the same thing. You just changed the platform and it worked. God bless. <laughs> right? So a lot of, lot of things have this duplicability ability to it. And if you have enough scars, you can see those. Yeah. But that's not necessarily if something worked once, it would work again. Um, my concern is that the new generation uh, hasn't seen a lot of bad times. You know, we've, we're older, we've seen a lot of bad times, uh, recessions, and, you know, uh, this is nothing. You know, people are saying, oh, you have to buy, you pay like in, in the States, three percent, you know, 7% to buy a home. Yeah, I bought it at 9.5% when I bought my first home. And it was okay, and we paid it, and it wasn't a problem. It's, you know, this is not disastrous. We have lived 20-some-odd percent uh, inflation rates, and nothing happened. You just have to be built resilience. But we see things from a window or a, or, or a lens that... Uh, uh, that is based on how long we've been around, and and that's the difference. Uh, you know, resilience, I think, is uh, is the question. And I mean, I'm sure there are lots of good entrepreneurs that could remain and become resilient. And but but I think you're going to have some failures. Yeah, along the way. I think you made a very uh, valuable or valid point there when you spoke about how if you don't have a good relationship with money from the start when you have nothing and then you get a whole load of money, your relationship with money is never going to change, which is why you see so many people go bankrupt and, and fail and fall flat on their face. So, so there is one thing, Nick, let me, let me, let me say, and yeah, I, I've, I've said this sure. to people who have hundreds of millions of dollars and they're my friend and those who have no money. If you let money drive you, you are a slave to it. If you want to drive money, your actions should be irrelevant of how much money you have. Now, that's, that's hard awesome. to do, but if, if you notice a lot of people who have significant wealth do not change their behavior or lifestyle. Yeah, you, you, yes, you have a better home, but you don't have 
20,000 homes with, you know, that you go mm. there for, uh, you know, the two days and never go there. And, you know, it's, you know, you see some uh, exuberant spending by some folks, but it's mostly because of taxes. You know, like, yes, uh, Jeff Bezos paid $500 million for a boat, but uh, he didn't pay for it. You and I paid for it as taxpayers. It was a tax write-off. So it wasn't him. Uh, my point is, it depends who drives your life. You or money. Your money, yeah. Great advice there. I might even quote you on what you just said there, if that's all right with you. <laughs> um, so you changing don't have to quote me and use it either. <laughs> yeah, because it's, I mean, it's, it's there. So just changing direction now from entrepreneurship. Let's chat about what we originally were going to talk about, and that is AI. Now, I use it every day, uh, ChatGPT, for example, and some other tools to make presentations, Opus for my podcasts. Just for the listeners who have pretty much no knowledge of how it works, what is AI in your definition and why should we be afraid is the question that I really want to know. Okay, so let's, let, me, let me kind of back up for a minute. AI or artificial intelligence is a word that has now been misused in a lot of, lot of context. Uh, you know, people that have any kind of analytics or any kind of automated, some, uh, they've used AI everywhere. So it has become a marketing fad in a lot of areas. Now, artificial intelligence is based, the word intelligence has to do with learning. You become intelligent because of the information that's provided to you. You're not intelligent if you're ignorant and you haven't read anything and, and, and done anything. So the key thing about artificial intelligence is this notion of machine learning. That is, a machine is set to learn. Learn from what? From the past. The past is reflected by data, is understood through data. We see let's say, loans that have been given to people. Some of them has failed. Some of them has been, who has failed? The people who are live here, they have this kind of uh, scoring. They have this kind of thing. Okay. So I learned from that, which was a series of decisions made by people. And I have the machine now go through the data and learn and say, okay, now next time you see something like this, it's one of those. I teach a person. I give him a ball and I said, this is baseball. You could do this with two-year-olds. And you say, this is a ball. And then you could uh, show them a tennis ball and say, this is a ball. And you could show them a football and say, what is this? And say, that's a ball. Mm -hmm. They can relate this thing. The same thing happens in what they call the deep learning, which is one of these used, uh, words used. You show a lot of pictures of a lot of cats to a machine. The machine reads it. And it's and then you show a cat and say, "Yep, that's a cat." But maybe a, a lion, <laughs> right? So there yeah. is an error involved in it. But hey, you and I can make that error too. So whatever errors and biases we've had in making our decisions in the past carries and is learned by the machine and passed through. So now. The key elements of this thing is, and this is why it's picked up, one is software. The, the thing that runs this engine, the fuel that, that, two, is the capacity to store information, connect information, which is what's called cloud computing. And the, you know, the, all of the database structures and the, all of that stuff that has happened in terms of those kind of things. The third is processing. How fast can you process information? Now, we went from, you know, 16 to 32 to 64, and now they have some 128 bits. Now we have quantum computing, which is works on qubit, and that gives us significantly more computing power. So what is significantly more? Recently, a year ago, Google had a quantum computing machine with 53 what they call qubits. A few weeks ago, they released one with 70 qubits. 
right? Which solves a problem that could be solved in 47 years in one second. Wow. Which is, so we, they went from 53 to 70 qubits. That's a 40% improvement in capacity, right? In processing. But it improved the processing by 241 million times. What? <laughs> Amazing. This is mind-boggling. So, so, here's the thing. The thing is that this chat GPT, which is called generative AI, and generative means that it can learn from this and apply it to the next and next situation and so forth. Imagine you reading 100,000 books. You'd be a pretty smart guy. Yeah, for sure. So if I ask you, hey, uh, if you have read and it's right on top of your head, write like uh, Ernest Hemingway, you could. Write like mm -hmm. Shakespeare, you could. Mm -hmm. Right? Uh, solve this problem uh, that is uh, isolysis, whatever, whatever, whatever in physics. Okay, you, you, you know it. The book is right in front of you. It's in the back of your mind. You have all this capacity to process. Okay, you're a pretty smart guy. That's all you have in an AI machine, a very, very smart, educated, intelligent entity that works faster than you and I can. Yeah. And has significantly more capacity of information. Mm -hmm. All right. So right. the dangers and the benefits. The benefits, the latest uh, numbers that I saw uh, a, a year or so ago was about $13 trillion of economic impact by 2030. That's seven years. Sure. That's 13 trillion with a T. Yeah. Okay. To give you a context, China, with 1.4 billion people, has a GDP of 17 trillion now, six and 16 and change. So 1.4 billion people work to generate 17 trillion dollars. The economic impact on productivity and influence on, 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 on economic injection of new economic impact is 13 trillion dollars. A year, every Mind year, Mind every blowing. year. And, and then we're just starting in 2030. So you can see the economic impacts that of such size is going to influence people to put more money in things. Okay. So why do you think they opened up the chat GPT, for example, which gets us to the last piece. So mm. I talked about, I talked what about, it is. I talked about processing. I talked about cloud computing, which allowed all this stuff. The last one is data. Chat GPT had information up until about 21. 21, yeah. They opened it up. I believe 100 million people are now engaging with it. Every question you ask, every mm -hmm. answer you get, every time you say you're wrong, every type of question you ask, everything that you are, is teaching this thing. So we're giving it data. Guess what? We're making it smarter mm. and smarter. And smarter. That's why they opened it up so that we are giving it information to make it smarter. Right? Now, here's the problem. The problem is uh, you talk about the fears. Mm -hmm. The fears one is 61% uh, of the Americans, of the Americans, 61% think that the AI is absolutely detrimental. And they're 100% afraid of it. Another 17%, they say, it looks like it's very scary. I don't exactly know yet. So that's like eight, almost 80% of the people in America are afraid of this thing. Okay, if I'm afraid of it, I'm going to push back. Example, our education system. The, in Hong Kong, the schools, the public schools are teaching AI and chat GPT and so forth. We are just passing in the United States uh, laws that says chat GPT should stay out of schools. Mm. The danger that we feel and we fear is causing a gap. So see. the danger is losing jobs. People are afraid that, hey, if a machine can do what I can do, then why am I here? Well, if a knife 
can cut through a meat. Why do you have teeth? Well, you should have teeth this big if we had never had knife. The yeah. fact of the matter is, things changed in the 1970s when we would use a calculator, it would be considered cheating. That's not the case today. So we have to get with it. So part of the problem is, are we losing our jobs? Yes, if we stay the same way, we are going to lose our jobs because the genie is out of the bag because there is $13 trillion of economic impact. So we have to learn as society, as people, that this is real and we have to change the way we do things, change the way we educate, change the way we behave, change the way we operate so that we could use the AI as an extension of our capabilities, just like a knife or a calculator and all the other things. The challenge is we've been evolving physically for thousands of years. This is the time that we should be evolving mentally. Yeah. We should focus on creating, innovating, those kind of things. And that is a challenge for us. So the danger is we lose all that stuff and we could lose it to China, we could lose it to India, we could lose it. So there would be a shift of power if people don't pay attention to this. Yes, there is uh, deep fakes and there's all this stuff and there is polarity in the society because if you're on Facebook, you begin to see the same kind of... Uh, uh, same kind of messaging and you think that the world is this when the world is much bigger except because you're clicking on these things I'm giving you the same kind of news the same kind of stuff the same kind of friends now fast forward that in five or six years or ten years you believe that the world is this because that's all you've seen and then you're going to teach that to your kids that the world is this so you're going to you're going to you're going to have kids and generations that are very very myopic so if we see the vision in, in, in our society in, in U.S. and a lot of other places that the group A is against group B, these are Democrats, these are this, these are progressive, these are uh, Christians, these are, this is going to be much more articulated. That's the danger. That's the danger. So there are much bigger dangers than losing a job. So we have to be educated. We have to know what we're doing. And let's take the quantum computing that I mentioned. All the encryptions that we have, a hacker, when they, they hack a bank or whatever, they try different variations of security systems until they get to one that works. So if I have quantum computing that's solving a 47-year pro complex problem in one second, do you think it's easy, much easier to tap into encryptions? Of course it is course it is. They're real dangers, but they're significant opportunity. Sid, I really hope people do take note of what you've said, because I was actually listening to an episode of the Diary of a CEO podcast, and there's an emergency episode that came out about three weeks ago. And he talks about exactly what you've just spoken about now, how we almost need to nurture what we feed or, or the, you know, how we treat um, AI as well as change our perspective and our mindset on it. Because if we don't adapt, like yeah. you said, you know, we could be in trouble. Yeah. So um, let me let me add one other things because, you know, our time is, is coming up. Yeah. I mentioned data is another piece of this. We, a lot of us, are fascinated in the Western world with, with privacy. We are fascinated. This is mine. This is my data. We've spent billions of dollars. So you don't know if I'm diabetic or I have a hemophilia or what my blood type is. What? If you want to build a building, you need concrete, you need iron, you need all those stuff. You need piping. If you want to build an AI machine, you need data. We are being protective of our data. But guess who has it? The Googles of the world and the, you know, all, uh, the, the, the Amazons of the world. They have it, a version of it. But we don't want to share it with anybody else. So a group of people are going to control us in some way. And we're not, in Japan, a hundred man manufacturers like the Toyotas of the world and the Hondas and Mitsubishis, they're sharing their data. In China, it's open season. Every big company has to share their data. 
So they are building machines because it's machine learning. It learns from data. If we don't give it data, it's like we are starving this child. It can't grow and become smarter. And if it can't, there's going to be a shift of who controls the stuff. The Western, we are fascinated by this idea of, of privacy. And every regulation, by the way, that's being created in, in, in London, in, in, in US, in Paris, has to do with this notion of protecting privacy through AI. Where the real problem is, we have to figure out a way and get out of this mindset that my data is my data, so I'm going to control it and not help. This is, we can cure major diseases with this thing. We could cure, we could do big things. And if we don't do it, somebody else will do it. Yeah. So, Sid, I know we, we're running out of time here, but if there's, if my listeners, if, there's, if they want to find you, if they want to follow you, um, your journey, you know, maybe connect with you, where should they look? Uh, my uh, site is mohasib.com, and that's my last name. Uh, they can find me there. There's links to a lot of different places. They can find me on LinkedIn. They can find me on Facebook. The same Sid Mohasib. My email is Sid at Mohasib.com. They can find me there. I'm very easy to find. Uh, okay. I do a lot of articles, as you mentioned. I work, I, I write a lot of lot of articles, particularly about this AI stuff. Uh, I've done a number of things in you know in Hill and Newsweek and you know lots of different places. Uh, usually I aggregate all of those uh, on the blog on my site. Uh, and on Medium. So if you find yeah. me or figure me out, I, I aggregate and post those. So okay. wherever I publish it, it's also there. Uh, Fantastic. I'd love cool. to hear from people, and uh, and I hope that I've been able to provoke a little bit of thought. Yes, definitely. I will actually link your TED videos down below, and I will link your. I'll I'll look for your Medium account, and I'll link all the different links down below. Sid, you have an amazing ability to dissect and break down um, subject matter and then explain it in a very simplified way, which Thank is you. which is just um, fascinating to me, really. I suppose that comes with all your years of experience. In, it comes with yeah, Asia. Yeah. <laughs> um, so a massive thank you from me, your perspective on entrepreneurship and AI has really, um, you know, got my mind thinking of what I should do next. So evolve always. That's my suggestion yeah. to you and all your listeners. Which is the title of your second book, right? Evolve, That's evolve, exactly evolve. Right. Okay. Evolve always. Fantastic. Well, Sid, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. And uh, thank you it was much. A pleasure to have you on the show. It was a pleasure to be with you. Cheers. Eh? Bye. Thank you. For more news and content about Pink and Nick go to www.thinkandnick.com or visit our Facebook or Instagram pages at Thinkandnick.com.